Now, our country's military has top-tier special operations groups called the Navy SEALs, Delta Force, or the 24th Special Tactics Squadron. These teams form a bond that is unbreakable. They form a bond that, you know, they're always looking out for their teammates, the best for their teammates. When there's tragedy that strikes, they're there. And oftentimes it's not just the individuals themselves, but it's their families are, are railing around each other. When there's times of rejoicing, they're there to rejoice with each other. You know, these traits keep them safe when in battle and their lives are at risk. They know they can trust the person next to them. They know that they, they have a person next to them fighting with them that is 100% trustworthy. You know, today, we as Christians, and throughout the years, we always, we see in Scripture, we're fighting a battle. Only our battle is not necessarily against, it's not against, as we see in Ephesians 6, it's not against necessarily things that are physical. It's things that are spiritual. You know, we as Christians are to have really an unbreakable bond which has a foundation greater than any special forces team. We as Christians have a bond that is formed because of what Christ did on the cross. Christ is a person who brings unity to the church. Christ is to be who we seek daily. It is his character we are to live. It's his commands and precepts we are to obey and follow. The commitment of the Christian to the local church should be a total commitment. This is to be our lifestyle. And see, a proper awe of God causes the Christian to live in such a way that the church becomes the focal point and priority of their daily and lifelong ethos. As we continue to build this morning on the truth we looked at just a couple weeks ago on living daily with an awe of God. A couple weeks ago we looked at the overall big important principle that God has got. We have to have an, a high level of awe. We have to be constantly filling our lives with awe of who God is. And that impacts how we view life as a whole. This morning we're going to look at how that same awe of God, how living daily with an awe of God impacts our relationships in the church, our commitment to the church. And see, really, as, as we go through this mini-series on Sunday mornings, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that having an awe of God impacts every area of our life. It's not just something that that impacts here or there or just how we look at life. It impacts every area of our life. And this morning we're going to be looking specifically at the church. Now oftentimes I know growing up when I hear, okay, we're going to church. We think of the physical building we're in. We think of the children's programs. We think of the programs that are going on in the church. But we see in Scripture that the church is not programs, it's people. And when Paul writes in scripture the commitment we are to have to the church and he describes what the Christian is to look like as he's writing to these churches it's really it's the people it's not he doesn't write about how to run a Sunday school program he doesn't write how to do those things but what he does say is this is how we as Christians are to live and interact with the people of God so let's look at our passage this morning. We're going to look, our primary text this morning is Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. It says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, 
Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This passage deals with the character of the Christian and how each of us as Christians, if you're here this morning, you're saved, how you are to live. Now this passage comes at the end of uh, really a section where, where Paul begins in chapter, one, in chapter 3 verse 1 saying, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. And he's setting the, the, the platform here of really what we are in Christ. And he's, he's giving us in verses 1 through 4 this overall focus of what we are in Christ and our overall focus of Christ being preeminent in the Christian's life. A big theme in the book of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. Christ needs to be preeminent in our lives. And needs to, he needs to be preeminent in the church's life. And then he follows as he talks about how Christ is, is got to be focal. We need to be having an eternal mindset. And he shares our position in Christ there, how we are hid with Christ. And Christ who is our life, well, one day we will be revealed with him in glory. But then he goes into chapter 5 and he transitions with the word therefore. And he gives a list of verses in verse 5 through 11. These are things that, first of all, we are to kill. In verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. And there's a lot to unpack in these first 11 verses. We don't have time to do that this morning. But in summary, what, these, what he's saying is, first of all, these are things that are to have nothing. They're dead in our bodies. Because of what Christ, of who we are in Christ, these are things that are to be dead in our lives. Have no part in our life. And then in verse 7, he says, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. So here are things now. He starts to use that, that clothing analogy. He's like, these are things that we are to put off. And he goes through and he lists a, a variety of things that are not to be a part, that are not to be clothed on the Christian they're not to be a part of what we wear as Christians and how we live as Christians. In verse 10 he says, And have put on then the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Christ is preeminent. Paul in Colossians 1 does a phenomenal job of describing Christ in his preeminence. 
But here he, he goes through saying these are things that are not to be a part of our lives. As part of the church, these are things that aren't to be a part of the church's life. But we are to be being renewed. We are to be putting on the new self who is being renewed on a daily basis. And then verse 12, we come to our text this morning. It says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. These are the kind of clothes that we are to wear as Christians. And so as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see that our main idea is this, that a proper awe of God propels a committed life to the church. You and I, as we have the right awe of God, and we have this awe of God that is continually filling up in our lives, it is that awe of God that propels you and I to living a committed life to one another. To serving God within the ordained church that He has placed us. And so we're going to look at two ways this morning, just simply two main points this morning that help show us how we can live with this proper awe and how awe matters within the church. And the first of those is that awe matters to our character within the church. We're going to see this in verses 12 through 16. See, living with an awe of God impacts the character we live out among those that God has directed us to live out and to help carry out His plans and His purposes. Yes, everyone who is saved is a part of what is, we refer to as the universal church. But God has called each and every believer here this morning who is a member of First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights to serve together, to minister together for the purpose of carrying out God's plans and purposes for First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights. It's not just one or two of us, it's all of us. It's not just 10%, it's 100%. No one gets a break. We're all a part of the same team. We're all to rally around. God's given all of us different gifts and abilities. See, we must live a lifestyle, as one commentator actually put it, to have a radical, it really is radically different. It's a radical lifestyle. It's not what people see as normal. We are to be a church that stands out in our community. See, God designed the believer to not live free for themselves, but rather to be totally involved in the church. And why is that? If you want to put it this way, our, our ministry slogan, what we put on some of our, our printed materials is what's up above on the wall. Joyfully magnifying Christ. See, we must be radical in our behavior and in an awe of God, and having this awe of God will aid in living just as that. And so what we see in these verses, first of all, is we see that all matters to our character within the church. We have to have a certain, we have a certain kind of character because of who we are, what we are in Christ. I love this passage of Scripture, how Paul starts this verse. So as those who have been chosen of God. As Christians, we have been chosen by God. That alone, that, that in, in and of itself, should start filling our awe capacity. 
Because we're all just sinners. We deserve hell. And yet God chose you. God chose you. Of all the people in the world, he has chosen us to be a part of First Baptist Church of Sterling Heights. This idea of God choosing us, see, we do not deserve to be God's child. We don't deserve to be identifying with Christ. See, we are a new creation and a new person, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. Completely different. We've been united in Christ, we see in Colossians 3, 3 and 4. See, God chose every believer to magnify himself. It is only of God that you and I and every believer do not have to spend an eternity in hell. And I'd be a liar if I stood up here and understood God's choosing. But we don't need to understand it. We just need to believe it. The fact that God chose you if you are here today and have genuinely believed in faith that Jesus died for your sin and rose again should literally pour an overflowing amount of awe into your heart and mind. And this doctrine of God's choosing of of election is, is something we could spend weeks talking about. Looking into God's word and the biblical, the theological explanation of it. But that's not my purpose here this morning as we go through this. I just want us to to really contemplate, are we really in awe of God's choosing? Not only are we chosen, but we're, we're holy. You know, what a privilege to be chosen to be set apart to serve and magnify God. It's interesting, though Israel and the church are not the same. There's a lot of similar language that that Scripture uses. And for this time and for His purposes right now, God has chosen the church to accomplish His purposes and His plans. He set us apart. We are to live holy. The Creator of the universe, our Father, our Protector, our Guide, who has given us his word to give us principles and commands by which we can follow to live that set-apart life. We, can li- we are holy. God has declared us not guilty. He's declared us holy. We, not only do we have a positional holiness, but there's a pra- practical holiness in our lives. But God has positionally put us in a place that we are considered holy, set-apart, From the world, are you living set apart from the world? You have such an awe of who God is that he has chosen you, of who he is, that that it drives you, it motivates you, it compels you to live different than your neighbors, to think differently, to, to talk differently, to act differently. See, when we see this truth that God has given the church to be different from the world and live Christ-like, encouraging one another to do so, 
we cannot but sit and stand in awe of God's grace and love in our lives. You know, we, we sit and we talk and we discuss about how so many churches are not set apart, are not different from the world. But I wonder how many times do we just take the time to look introspectively and say, are we really that much different either? Maybe we put a little bit better of a facade over it, but are we living different? God has chosen us. He's chosen us. We are holy. He's chosen us to be holy, and then it's neat. Again, holy in what? Beloved. God loves us. The, the, the word here is, is a, a form of agape. It is detailing that the Christian is loved unconditionally by God. It is the love of God for you that brings about the sadness when you sin. See, when our awe of God is, is right, when we have this awe of who God is, and we understand and, and we look and, and we see God's love for us, it's that love for us that we see in Him that drives us to that sadness when we sin. That we have disappointed, that we have saddened, that we have our holy God, our Father, who sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. I don't know about you and how maybe you, what your relationship was like with your father growing up. I know I have a close relationship with my father. And I remember there were times where I would get in trouble and I would just break down into tears before there was any discipline. It just happened recently with, with Ella. I had asked her some questions and she, I don't think, told me the truth, but I, couldn't, I didn't know for sure. And I had to leave the house and as I pulled out of the driveway, I get a call from Liz saying that Ella came up to her crying saying, I think I just lied to daddy. She was saddened over the fact that she had lied to me. That's on, a, on, on really, in a way, a, a, on a temporal relationship. It's, it, praise the God, I, that's driven by a relationship with God that my five-year-old has. But you know what? I wonder, how, are we really saddened by our sin? God loves us. We are God's beloved. And is that love that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 that compels us to live righteously? And he goes on then, he says, he, after describing us, our position really, of what we are in Christ, he says, put on then. He says, because of who you are, because of who you are, this is how we are to live in Christ. And he first of all says, compassionate. If you have a, a, the, a King James in front of you, you'll see the phrase bowels of mercy, which I think is just a wonderful descriptive term when you really, it just, it doesn't actually exude love and compassion when I think of bowels of mercy. I think of stomach issues or something of that nature. But when, when they use this word, it's this idea of the very seat of your affections. 
So Paul is referring here to a love that includes mercy. It, it's, it's a tender-hearted love. It's a compassionate love. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here on this one. I think pastor, God has used pastor to ex- explain genuine biblical love over the last 20-some weeks. And I would encourage you to really think through what what Romans 12, 9 through 21 are talking about when we're developing genuine love, if you're genuinely developing love that, that we have seen from God's word, those are things that we are to be showing to one another. We are to be living compassionately towards one another. And, and in doing so, you are having an awe of God. And also, Kindness. We're to put on kindness. Again, this, this putting on is this idea of clothing. Something we're to be wearing. We need to be kind to one another. Are you kind to others? Ephesians 4.32, a verse that I think a lot of kids have memorized. and We encourage kids to memorize, but I wonder how often we as adults Think about this verse. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And Christ also has forgiven you. See, Ephesians 4.32 gives us the basis for that forgiveness and kindness. It's, it mimics Christ's actions to us. Remember David? David showed a a wonderful act of kindness to a member of a family that he had did not have to show love to. Remember Mephibosheth? David chose to show kindness to Mephibosheth. We need to be showing kindness to one another. Whether that be through one-on-one interaction, whether it be through social media or letters or emails, phone calls, talking behind the person's back should never take place in the church. We're to be a unified church because we are unified in Christ. We ought to show kindness to one another. Not only that, he moves on from kindness but also to humility. Humility. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this attitude or this mind in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. And what do we see? The mind of Christ was that he humbled himself to what God's will, God the Father's will was for him. Humility. It's not thinking of yourself at all. I remember my dad once telling me as I was having a pity party and about my, and I, you know, thinking that I was not being arrogant and proud, and my dad's like, Aaron, you know, you're still being just as proud as if you thought you were something. Because who are you still thinking about? And I was like, me? It's like, well, then you're being proud. You're not being humble. See, it's Christ who we are to, to be thinking about. It's our, 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 we should have this awe of who God is. And as we humble ourselves before God, we humble ourselves then 
and show that humility with one another. In one giving and receiving. See, it's easy for us all to humble ourselves. A lot of times, it's easier for us to humble ourselves in giving. In my short time of life, you know what I have experienced both personally and just seen that a lot of times for Christians, it's hard for us to humble ourselves to receive. It's hard for us to humble ourselves to ask for help. Not just physically, but spiritually. How often have you found yourself actually calling up another brother or sister in Christ and just asking them to spend time with you on the phone in prayer because of sin that you are struggling with in your life? See, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves to serve one another. It's not just the idea of a formal ministry, but truly serving one another, the people. And yes, the the programs and the things of the church are important, but the people are more important than the programs. He moves on to meekness. One commentator put it this way, described this as this, it expresses itself in being considerate of others and in being willing to give up one's rights. It involves not being a harsh person. It involves not holding grudges and resenting others. Are you a meek person? Are you willing to give up, quote-unquote, your rights for the sake of someone else in this auditorium this morning? Or maybe someone that's not in the auditorium that wasn't able to make it today? Are you struggling with having a gentle spirit as meekness has been described? Or are you finding yourself holding a grudge against others? Maybe you're here this morning and you are holding a grudge. Maybe there's something that irritates you about someone else in our church family and you've just been holding on to it. It's not going to help you. You're not having an awe of God. And it certainly is not going to drive unity in the church. He moves on from meekness to patience. It's the idea of self-restraint. It means enduring patiently in the face of wrong done to us by others and not retaliating, refraining from acting in anger. It's like a sibling that does not respond and slap their other sibling as they continue to poke them in the side. (laughs) It's not taking vengeance. I don't know about you, but I struggle with patience. (laughs) I struggle with it. I struggle with the idea when things don't go my way or things aren't, people aren't acting the way they, I think they should act. It's hard to, and it's, it's a fight in my own flesh to not get upset and angry. See, we need to put on patience and live with a proper and consistent awe of God. It starts with living with an awe of who God is. 
We see that in Colossians 3, 1. Keep seeking things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. Christ is preeminent. And related to these, he goes on and he gives another trait of bearing with one another, the idea of endurance, enduring, putting up with one another, forbearing, tolerating. It's loving others in spite of their faults. Remember when we were going through premarital counseling, Liz and I were going through premarital counseling. Uh, The pastor that we were doing the premarital counseling mentioned to us and asked us the question, are there any little idiosyncrasies and and little things that annoy you about the other person? And I asked him, the person was my dad, but I asked him, it's like, why does that even matter? Who cares if the toilet paper is facing the right direction? Or what the toothpaste is like, whether you roll it or you don't roll it. Why does that even matter? That's not going to hurt our marriage. You know what I found out after I got married? Boy, those things can be a problem. I found that for whatever reason, we'd be talking and Liz would start playing with her hair and it would drive me nuts. And I know she's probably watching right now as she's home with the kids. But you know what I found is, you know what, we need to love others in spite of those aren't false. But the idea is there. We need to love others even though there's things they do that annoy you. You know, in the military and the Navy SEALs, you don't think that a group like that ever has disagreements? (laughs) I guarantee you, they're people. It's relationships. Relationships are messy. They disagree, but you know when it comes down to it, when they put on those packs, when they go out and they are deployed and they're in the heat of battle, you know what there is? They put all those differences aside and they've got each other's back. And see, in the Christian life, in the Christian life, there is no, the battle doesn't end. You don't get to go on leave. We're always in the battle. You know, sometimes we're going to say things to one another that hurt. We won't be acting with a mindset of awe to God and we're going to do or say things We need to be a forgiving people. We do not hang on to wrongs. We don't harbor the hurt. We don't become bitter. But we forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Forgiven me. Then he goes into verse 15. I'm sorry, 14. Beyond all these things, on top of these, above these, put on Again, here's that principle of love. Why is it so important that you and I are genuinely developing biblical love in our lives? It's because it is uh, the thing that we are to put on above all. See, love is what's interlaced and foundational to all of these virtues. You need to put on that genuine love. 
genuine love. Then he moves on from that to verse 15. He says, he uses another word, the word let again. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does he mean by the peace of God? See, we're to let the peace of God rule and reign in our hearts. God uses his word to bring about the peace among others. God does not desire non-peaceful acts from those whom he has chosen. We can have a peace in every situation when we rely on Christ. See, we can live at peace knowing that God has forgiven us. And it is this peace we are called to as the church is one body. One commentator said, without sacrificing principle, believers should relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates the peace that Christ has secured for them. Because of salvation, we have peace with God. And it is because of that peace with God that we have the peace of God in our lives. And it is this peace that ought to rule our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 talks about this verse talks about this principle. I'll just read it for you quickly. It's Philippians 4, 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard or keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are secure. His peace brings us security. Ephesians 4, 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. What a peace that comes from what we are in Christ. We are one body. We are one spirit. There is unity. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. God has called the church to peace. To live at peace. With all men. Unfortunately, there are way too many Christians that are not living at peace with all men. See, the peace we have through salvation is what is to reign in our lives together as a church body. When people see us as a church, they ought to see a church that seeks to show and lives the peace of God. There's something different. We're not worried. We're not, we're not losing. We're not living as without hope. We're letting the peace of God rule our hearts. And he says, in verse, at the end of verse 15, and be thankful. We need to be in full gratitude to God for his gracious calling in our lives. See, in all these texts, in these verses, God has chosen his people not simply to be his people, but to live a certain kind of life. If we are to live this life, we need to have a right awe of God. We don't have a problem with programs. We don't have a problem with these things. What we have a problem with is these character traits. We, don't have, we have a problem with an awe of who God is. And see, we're to let, in verse 16, we are to let the word of Christ richly dwell in us. Is God's word richly dwelling in your life? 
See, God's people, the church, we need to let the word of God run freely and reign freely in our lives. How important is God's word to you? When I was a youth pastor, I would ask the teens, did they have their devotions? Or I encourage them to have their devotions, and they're like, well, is it okay if I just have it two or three times a week? I was like, if you can show me a passage of Scripture that says you don't need to talk to God every day and commune with Him every day, then yes. You can only do it two or three times a week. And if I were to ask the question of you this morning, how often are you in God's Word? I'm not talking about how long your devotions are in the morning. Though that is important, or in the evening, or whenever time. I'm talking, not talking about the mode, but how much of God's Word is in your life. Is it dwelling in your life? Is it a part of your life? Is it what you are anxious to read in the morning? Are you excited to open up the, the pages or, or, or flip it on on your phone or, or whatever it might be? Are you excited to memorize God's Word? Are you excited to, to meditate on God's Word? Are you excited about talking about God's Word with others in the church? I love talking sports with Tim. But I would question both of us in our, in our awe of who God is if that is what we like talking about more than who God is in His Word and, and dwelling richly in God's Word. Because, Christian, this has got to be the centerpiece of your life. Because it is the very words of Christ if Christ is going to be the center of our lives, if we're going to have an awe of God, we need to know what God is telling us. You know, when I got married, and then through the dating process, you know what awe grew as I got to know more about Liz? Was my awe of who Liz was. I wanted to know more and more about her, and, and I was just at awe of who she was. I wanted to be around her more. See, God's Word enables us to detect the teaching that, that comes our way, both from God's Word and even the things that come around us that, that try to infiltrate and disrupt the church. So is God's Word truly front and center of your life? Are you digging into His Word? And are you encouraging one another to dig into the Word? You know, it's easy to kind of go through the motions and say that we're living according to God's word, but the question is, are you really living it? Are you really loving it? Is it really a part of who you are? And he, said, he goes on in this verse, as we see that awe of God matters to how faithful we are to God's word among the, in the church. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, there's a reason we sing on Sunday. It's not to sound pretty. We're not here to teach you music. 
What we're here is to join together and worship and praise God. And you know by us singing, when you sing, you are helping to teach and admonish one another with biblical truth. The song we sang to begin with was, O Church, Arise and Put Your Armor On. And I'm not, it's, it, we don't have the time and there's no necessary need to dive into all the different types of music here. The point that Paul is making is music is used to encourage one another. Corporately. We should be encouraging and, and, and sing out. It doesn't matter what you sound like. Because you're not singing to sound good. You're singing to glorify God, to magnify Christ. See, teaching and admonishing one another is so much more than just 15, 20 minutes even on a Sunday. Are we encouraging one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs during the week? And as we look, then he finishes in verse 17. Again, I'm sorry, just before that, we see the idea of thankfulness again. We're going to see it again at the end of verse 17. And as we see the second point this, this morning is that all matters to our character before God. And really, you could sum this up very briefly, very succinctly, I should say. Whatever you do, period, do for God. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul similarly states in 1 Corinthians 10.31, and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's interesting, the construction of this verse, Paul doesn't give any wiggle room, doesn't give any room for us to get, go aside. In the original language, it really is this idea of in everything, whatever, no matter what it is, in everything and anything, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Names meant something back then. If you were to say, do something in, in the name of one of us, it would be like so. <laughs> Names don't mean the same they do today. We are to do things according to the character of God. It is a total commitment it's not partial and when you see a church family member being partially committed it is our responsibility to come alongside them and remind them of the all they need to have of God and of the total commitment and total commitment again is not the idea of am I in nursery enough am I serving in Sunday school enough am I doing those things and those are all good things but what we need to add on top of that is are we really serving one another are we totally committed to one another we've encouraged people to get together on one-on-one -on -one redemptive relationship studies. This is why we do it. To, to help grow one another, to, to have a platform of, of taking these traits and showing them to one another biblically. 
It's not just to have another thing going on in the church. It's to help each and every one of us to come alongside someone else and then to grow that and have those people go to somebody else and to share their lives with someone else biblically. And if you're not involved in in really pouring your life into somebody else, shame on you. It doesn't, I, and I'm not saying it has to be in a certain way, shape, or form, but if you're not consistently pouring your life into another believer, shame on you. We are to be, we are to be pouring our lives into one another, teaching and admonishing one another. And so I challenge you to ask yourself what may be filling your awe capacity that is hindering you from have achieving total commitment to the church. Because no matter what, you will be in awe of something. Your heart will always be in awe of something. If it's not God, it's going to be something else. There's nothing in between. So right now, this morning, what is your heart in awe of that is hindering you from total commitment to church? I understand there are certain things that keep people providentially from, from coming, even on Sunday evenings, but I ask the question, I challenge you to really say, why is it I'm not coming back? If we are to be this church, that committed church, total commitment, I would ask the question, are you really in awe of God? It's a question to ask yourself. That's between you and the Lord. Again, I understand there are things that sometimes providentially hinder people, but I'm, I want you to really evaluate your own heart, your own life. Why is it that you don't want to be here with God's people? What is it that's hindering you? See, a proper awe of God propels a committed life to the church. And Paul here in Colossians three twelve through 17 says total commitment. He gives Christian virtues that you and I are to live out in the church. And he finishes this whole passage after talking about Christ being preeminent to be the focal point. Things that we are not to have a part of our lives. Things that we are to put on in our lives. And he says, there's no wiggle room. It's total commitment. No matter what you do, it is to magnify and glorify Christ. Is your life that this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your wonderful name. Lord, I pray as you have challenged me from this passage in areas of my own life, Lord, you'd be challenging all of us this morning that we would be a church that is dedicated to having a right awe of you, a proper awe of you each and every day, filling our, our lives up with an awe of you, by, thereby having a total commitment for you within the church that you have placed us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.